1: FM to get started. What's up, everybody? And welcome to Talking TED Talks, where we're going to be looking at the TED Talk, the brain in love. So stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Woo! <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Talking <laughs> TED Talks. We are going to be diving into the brain in love. My name is Yasmin Tanris and sadly my co-host Jesse Janity isn't here today, but he will be back, not next week, because don't forget, next week is the 4th of July celebration time. And so we'll be back the following week though. Um, So I definitely want to introduce who we have here in our studio today at Afterverse, as we're going to talk all about love. She's a prolific author. But before I introduce her, I'm going to be talking briefly about the TED Talk, the speaker, Helen Fisher, who's a biological anthropologist. You might question what that is, because I was a little bit confused about that too. But having looked into her research and background, she's also the chief scientific advisor of Match.com, which is a dating website. And she's an author of six Six books um, that dive deep into the evolution and future of human sex, love, marriage, gender differences in the brain and how your personal Personality style shapes who you are and who you love. Um, her articles have been published on the National Geographic, The Economist, O, The Oprah Magazine, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. And now our guest in studio is Tamin Jadad. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on Talking TED Talks. It's been an absolute pleasure. So, Taman here, she's an entrepreneur focusing on socializing theories from philosophy, psychology, medicine and business development for people to be able to live their life through the to the fullest potential, whilst making a living as well. She's written two books. You're such a young author as well. So it's truly fascinating, really incredible, such a success already. And the first book was um, Beginning from the End, which touches upon the research that you've had behind it is about um, early stages of life and the end of life.
0: Yes, right. So it's end of life care and systems like healthcare systems based off of, you know, how you can have the best quality of life throughout your entire life, and especially at the end.
1: So no wonder, as to your field of being an entrepreneur and then diving deep into that subject, it really translates as well into now your second book, Everything You Need to Know About Love, Almost. And it's such a beautiful book. And you mentioned Helen Fisher in it as well. So I want to go into that page where you have um, the quote here, which I think you should actually introduce your book itself. Yeah, for sure. how did you come across Helen Fisher as well?
0: Yeah, so uh, this is my book, Everything You Need to Know About Love, Almost. And um, it kind of started... You know, obviously very early in my inception, my conception. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my parents are best friends and um, and they decided to get married uh, like me and um, with my best friend. Um, and through life, you know, love has been such an important part of our life growing up, but also, you know, in the lives of many people. And um, I studied business management in Kings in London and um, and. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but obviously love was essential for me as well. And the question came to mind of, you know, is it possible to be successful in business and in your romantic relationships? Because consistently you see stories of how relationships fall apart or fail or break apart or, you know, for several different reasons. Though I felt like I heard it more in the community of entrepreneurs and um mm-hmm. um and you know high level business people. So I actually started to study uh as a final year dissertation whether it was possible for young successful entrepreneurs to have a successful romantic life as well, mm-hmm. so it was kind of like, can you have the cake and eat it? Mm-hmm. And um, and because it was really important for me personally as a young entrepreneur, but then also kind of as someone who wanted to have love in my life as well, so I had a group of of really interesting top entrepreneurs across the U.S. and in the world that I asked about, you know, how they've developed their businesses and kind of parts of how they've been able to develop their romantic relationships and i was actually quite stunned shocked in a in a you know bit of a sad and worried way mm. that actually 82% of them weren't able to have a romantic relationship because of their businesses mm. so and that was for uh people who were you know dating but also for those who were even married as well so i thought that was quite shocking and i wanted to kind of deep dive deeper into this so first i was i was thinking what is love right
1: that's a big question. Multi-dollar question right there. And I appreciate how you delve into 5,000 years worth of ideas of yeah. exploring that question. Exactly. Is there an ultimate answer? So, good question, and that was
0: kind of what the whole exploration of the book was was answering what is love through those 5,000 years of history and contributions and Right off from the start, I realized that love isn't purely romantic, right? You love your friends, you love your family, right? You love your community. And that is not romantic, right? So there's so much more to it that I feel that society doesn't emphasize as often and should start to recognize and put up on a pedestal. So all in all, it actually is much more approachable than we think. Because love can often seem a little daunting and be charged with responsibility and mm-hmm. fear and pain, right? And all these things that we hear Helen, you know, speaking about, Dr. Fisher speaking about is precisely about the emotional charge that comes with love, right? And and actually, it's more of an ability towards goodness um, mm-hmm. than, than actually an emotion. So really, through studying these things, you constantly hear that emphasis on on wishing good, doing good, seeing good, and feeling good. And it's the ability to do those things. And that's what's been highlighted. Wow,
1: I feel like you've already used four powerful phrases or wordings to basically attach to love. Because I guess with love, there's there's a sense of emotion and attachment and labeling to it that can be daunting, as mm-hmm. you've touched upon. And it's interesting to see you speaking and and being curious about it and having researched it. And now Dr. Helen Fisher herself is going more into the narrative of business and leadership and innovation, the chemical reactions within our brains as to how what makes somebody um, be in those positions of leadership and what triggers them. Um, and so I think what you've just done there about finding the balance of that narrative of an entrepreneur who is struggling to actually feel, receive and apply love and that, and it's just so important because what what is life without love? Exactly. And, and I feel that
0: also breaking it down to the in that sense, you're able to actually practice it and get better at it. Because that's often a big question as well is kind of, you know, how do I get better at loving? Or kind of, you know, how do I start to apply more love in my life? And by having those components, it's actually easier to implement in your life, right? Because you're like, am I seeing good? Am I doing good, right? Am I feeling good, Mm -hmm. right? And am I, you know, seeing good, right?
1: So we want to go into um, Helen Fisher, how she, through, let's say, those encompassing words, the she does more of a structural behavior and chemical response analysis having put 75 people under an MRI scan um it was was it 17 of them had just fallen madly in love 15 had just been dumped whereas 17 are still in love after an average of 21 years and that still ignites the same a region within the brain of releasing the dopamine. I want to know first of what did you think about that and the talk itself? Also, do you think she was appropriate to speak upon, upon the subject?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's so charged and an amazing question because it kind of links to many elements that, well, we can go into the history. So essentially... Um, if you think... She kept specifying. Yeah, let's reel it back. Let's (laughs) reel it back. So essentially, she kept specifying that it was romantic love, which I thought was amazing because, as we know, there are many types of love. So if you actually go to what romantic means you can clearly see that roman is in there and it's for a reason so it actually comes from a a french word from like the 1600s to do with like a book a story another roman right and um and that actually comes from a narrative of or in the style, like in the Roman style. But when they're talking about this Roman style, it actually refers to, um, you know, these poets and these writers in the Roman times, right? So in like 70 BCE and like to 17 CE, which is the time period of Ovid, actually. So Ovid was one of the most prolific and most read widely and most copied Roman poets. And he's known for writing Amores, Ars Amatoria, and (laughs) Heroides. Latin, right? Exactly. (laughs) And, um, And actually, like, Ars Amatoria is precisely about how to find a woman... Right, so it's it's like he really speaks about love in a romantic sense, which wasn't um, what love was before that. So when you're looking pre-Roman times, it's more to do with duty and spirituality, right? So it's more to do with faith and with spirituality and duty to your family versus romantic love. So this whole romantic love comes then inspired by you know these poets in the Roman times, these Latin poets, and they actually get revived. In the Renaissance period and that's so Renaissance would not be the same without poets like Ovid you Mm -hmm. know and Shakespeare and uh, Goethe and Chaucer are all um, inspired by Ovid's work so um, like Ars Amorati Amoratia which I was talking about is like it's three books and the first one talks about how to find the right woman the second one is how to keep her how to keep her interested you know remember her birthday you know pretend like play a little bit coy so all of Even these back things in those times. exactly is there, and then the third one is how women can find and keep men. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to to see that, and that gets revived in the Renaissance period. So that's like seventeen hundreds, fourteen hundreds or so, and. Um, that's where you have all these like beautiful paintings and be- beautiful like um dramas mm-hmm. come about there um so that started to open the the possibility of having a romantic love mm. right though that then that period as well you get darwin Right, so then goes into the
1: biology and evolution. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly, because
0: you have Darwin and you have the Enlightenment period. Mm -hmm. Because the Enlightenment period and kind of the French Revolution and the American Revolution, at that time, people were starting to assert their ability to be able to be happy and to enjoy their lives and to be able to, you know, choose what they wanted. And that echoed very strongly in terms of romance and who you decided to marry. So you see, you know, you also see like Jane Austen writing in that Mm -hmm. period. As well. Mm-hmm. And so then when Darwin came in, he kind of shook things up. And this is where it very much links to what Helen Fisher is talking about, because we needed to have Darwin to be able to speak about what Dr. Helen Fisher is speaking about, right? To have kind of, she's talking about that primal part of you, yeah. you know, like that reptilian brain, like yes. in the VTA, right? Yes, which so, is the brain
1: associated with craving aka yeah. cocaine which apparently is romantic love is a worse addiction in a sense it's no not worse mm. more intense exactly <laughs> exactly
0: exactly with like a very difficult come down shall we say yes exactly where with cocaine right. or whatever <laughs> you
1: apparently have these really apparently. bad come downs <laughs> yeah. and with love it's just like a constant high mm. determination and it's like somebody camping in your head which i thought was hilarious when helen fisher said that it's mm-hmm. true that like you really once you start to be attracted or like somebody, it's like you have this compulsive obsession, mm-hmm. which is like a drug in a sense.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what's really interesting is that now linking it to kind of being able to see that uh, people started to argue saying, OK, so if we are because Darwin essentially revolutionized this, like, yes, saying the evolution of species, but also the fact that we are related to, you know, sapi- like to, to um, you know, uh, like, to, uh,
1: mammals al- other animals exactly like that ins- we
0: aren't exactly that we aren't created uh like div- divinely created necessarily right. so that's that's what he started to argue there and um and then that started to people started to associate these these elements in terms of love okay well you don't see you know monkeys staying in you know uh, monogamous relationships right. and staying you know true to each other right so what does that say about us and is this really natural or not so that whole kind of more biological and, you know, psychological and, you know, Mm -hmm. chemistry, uh, a chemical kind of perspective started to come about there. But also there are a couple, you know, red flags possibly to speaking about love as an addiction, right? Because when you start talking about addictions, that automatically starts to implicate uh, healthcare systems, public health, mm-hmm. right? It's, Mental it's health. Too, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like, if you start treating it as a drug, as like, as an addiction or as a drug, then you start getting these institutions and it becomes medicalized, mm-hmm. right? So if we, if we now have these perspectives, because they're quite recent, right? So right. I mean, there's still time to develop these things, though. If you have this perspective as, of it as an addiction, then, you know, who knows maybe in the future, if this perspective is continued, We'll have pills like for you know anti love, like you know de love, right? Well, like for breakups or doesn't you know. she
1: mention at one point if you take um, serotonin associated drugs or medication that that can really suppress your sex drive, even certain emotions of of like feelings of love and things like that. So I feel like there's already things out there that are putting a patch and having a detrimental effect and not real. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that's quite, you know, that takes you aback in terms of how you speak of it, right? And that's why I worked so hard in creating this concept with my family, right, was how to describe love in a way that, doesn't become an addiction, right? Because then that, you know, then it could be medicalized, right? Then you have like all these moral dilemmas as well. You know, do you create that love potion, mm-hmm. right? If you understand exactly what is going on in the brain chemically, could you induce those feelings, right? Or could you suppress them? And mm-hmm. then how do you treat it, right? Is it then an illness as you see in like Shakespeare's writing and kind of, you know, back then as well, right? So interesting. it's it's very interesting to kind of have that perspective there.
1: What I think was also very um, interesting that Fisher says is your obsession gets worse upon rejection. And Mm -hmm. then, then there's a poem or a line that she mentions, the less my hope, the higher my love. And that is related to somebody just being within your head the whole time. Do you find that to be true? Um, I mean, that that actually that poet
0: was uh, actually wrote that around the same time as Ovid, which is very interesting, Um, though. I mean, if you look at. Hmm. I mean, I get that, though, if we talk about love being an ability, mm-hmm. naturally, it's harder to do that when you are not with them to wish good, do good, see good and feel good towards them. You know, with that separation, it becomes harder. So I totally understand that, you know, it might, it might be almost like magnets, you know, like that, that you start to feel it and you feel it when you're kind of closer as
1: well. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is that there. That. Well, then what about the concept of there's obviously varying degrees of love right mm-hmm. um and then there's like moments in which you can get into bed with somebody and you fall in love with them or it takes time or it's instant so with all those different degrees what le- what lessons can you share and this is down to romantic love mm-hmm. right um that you have found that can help an individual to distinguish the sentiments because i also find that with the obsession um mm-hmm. you know that can really drive somebody insane and uh, she even mentions this nobody gets um, out, of love like, alive. Yeah. out of love alive <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, people kill for love mm. or like y- if you are rejected from let's say a hookup like you're not going to fall into bad depression depression or you know a- anything that's very intense as if you are rejected from love
0: yeah well I mean something that I think is really important like for this kind of perspective of love and this kind of understanding is that, you know, that like romantic love is one kind of love. And yes, love is so viscerally important for us precisely because it relates to our survival. Right. It's normal to know that, you know, it's, it's instinctively in us that alone we are very vulnerable. Though as we have a greater community or when we're in pairs, we have better chances. Right. So, so that, that fear, that, you know, that drive and that need for connection and that fear of being separated could possibly be that element of, Oh my gosh. Can I survive? Will I be all right? It's, it's a fear for your life. It almost feels that intense. If you know what I mean? So so i think it's important you know to kind of to to quell that a little to kind of subside that a little you can start to think about other types of love, right? That cultivate your friendships in this, like in the with this amount of dedication okay. and this amount of care and purpose, right? Cultivate your family relationships, even by choice, right? That's what we do as a family. Is that we believe that we have family by choice, by memes, by genes, <laughs> right, and by chance, mm-hmm. right? And that's, and 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 you know, this is a type of love that you have that increases that survival and increases, you know, your ability to kind of. Mm-hmm. Manage manage that right if your depend if your survival depends on one person you will feel
1: and an immense amount of intensity and attachment exactly exactly and, and now that you're talking about this um it's making me think you know because there are a plethora amount of humans on this earth mm-hmm. it's like why do we feel this sense of fear of if we don't have that let's say that mating partner because that's mm-hmm. how essentially like we are like animals in a sense that we're built to sort of find that partner that we can breed with mm-hmm. right but it's like it's not always gonna work out within humanity and especially nowadays. There's just too many choices and apps and options and uh-huh. you know <laughs> and access, let's say. But it's like what is it that can calm a person's mind to think, okay, this is not working out and you have to just acknowledge it. Stop obsessing over it. Mm-hmm. So what you're explaining there is to really turn to your peers, yeah. family. That provides you another form of love support. Exactly
0: That and as well that, you know, romantic love is part of having a good life, mm-hmm. right? And that's really the work that we do as a family as well is, is questioning what is a good life and how do you make it, right? Because people are constantly chasing, go, go more, 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 right? But to what end? It's almost like chasing the horizon. So we've worked mm-hmm. to kind of define what are those key elements that you can kind of look at and say... I made it, you know, and have that tranquility. And love is a part of that, right? And everybody wants to have a full life, a good life. That's why we're doing a lot of what we do, right? It's to live well, right? So love is a part of that, though we need to also put focus on other parts of Mm -hmm. having a full life. And sometimes, like, part of a full life is this exhilaration, you know, your ability to take risks, right? So maybe,
1: so love, love is risk taking exactly, too exactly,
0: exactly. So but there are other ways of having that risk, right? So if that's something that you enjoy is kind of the exhilaration of you know, of, of like the chase and stuff, you can also do that in other Areas of your life, right. so you I don't. I mean,
1: that's like a career as well. Do what you love. Or exactly, exactly, passions, exactly. Dreams,
0: yeah, or like mm, extreme sports, yes. or you yes. know, hobbies right? and stuff. Exactly, that can kind of fill you in those ways, and it's kind of opening your perspective because, as Helen was showing, that love isn't unique to human beings right love is something that you can see expressed in animals in many different yeah. animals so right Vice
1: versa, humans to animals as well exactly. even animals to humans exactly
0: exactly though something that i think is uniquely human is our ability to self-sabotage mm.
1: Ooh, talk to us a little bit about that yeah.
0: so <laughs> it's very important to talk yes. about
1: this because <laughs> i mean i feel that love
0: is ripe with so many opportunities to self-sabotage you know either through our insatiability constantly wanting more, you know, more options or more affection or more gifts or more time Goes or, down to the you know, exactly and, the lifestyle. <laughs> exactly and it's just like more and more and more that's a key way that yeah. our insatiability and our, you know how we are destroying ourselves how we're being self-destructive in these tendencies, right? So I think it's important to kind of look at that as well and when you're feeling so intensely to take that moment and you know, really question what is is going on you know is this love you know like are you wishing good doing good seeing good and feeling Mm -hmm. good right while loving yourself that's Mm -hmm. kind of the essence of feeling good is being able to protect yourself while you are loving right right
1: Um, and feeling fulfilled as well it's basically enough like why do you need more 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 because sometimes some people will feel like okay maybe i can do better or i think i just wanted to touch upon um Fisher, she, she does mention as well, and and this kind of goes a, a little bit into a different direction of, of romantic love, sure. but it does propel into it. Mm-hmm. And it's a search of, um, Fisher believes that men and women often engage in hooking up mm-hmm. to unconsciously trigger these feelings of romance and attachment. Mm-hmm. So unconsciously triggering these feelings. would, what, what do you make of that? And why does it work for some in the long run? and not for others, all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Because she really dives into this whole, like, okay, so here's the way that the brain functions. It releases dopamine within the, how do you say that? The the reptilian core. core, And it just vertebrates all over your brain, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, okay, once you have that experience with a partner, a new partner, and you just don't really know where that's going into, um... Why Why does that trigger those feelings of romance?
0: Well, I mean, it comes down to so many things, right? A lot of factors. And that's why she talks about how it's very difficult to even decide, like, how, what is the science be- behind how we choose who we choose? Because a lot of it is chance, right? Like, everything that's happened in your life that led up to that point that makes this person even someone that's right in this time, right? Or that you would even consider, right? Even sense in the air, like pheromones and, you know, all this can be sensed, even though we don't consciously sense it, our brain is computing that, right? But then also like the physical elements of it as well. And then kind of our, our very primitive elements of, you know, needing for affection and closeness and, you know, that security and numbers. So, that can definitely you have so many factors at play that can that can trick you right and and that's what's so difficult about love is that you never know whether it's right like no one knows you know in the moment, whether it's right or wrong, it's always through hindsight that you start to
1: make sense of everything. And and that's something else that she touches upon. It's like you start to then calculate what went wrong, where, why, how did I fail? It's like Mm -hmm. kind of like a test or something there. Exactly, exactly.
0: (laughs) And that's why that's why I think that gives you the opportunity to story forward. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is like history. And then you can also look forward and you can story your relationship in a certain way. Right. So by being purposeful in terms of what kind of story do you want to live? right and make sure that they have a story that's aligned with that is a good way of of knowing whether things are going to go in the direction that you'd like even in a very a very explicit way like i've had this conversation with my husband like we've actually talked about what kind of genre we would oh, like our I life love to be that. wait what kind of genre did you pick <laughs> um uh, like a, a romance comedy like a rom-com for yeah, i'll, I'll
1: tune into <laughs> <Yeah>, that <laughs> exactly like i
0: want to live a rom-com i don't want to live a drama a thriller you know a or dramedy like, <laughs> not even a dramedy no, yeah. a rom-com is cool, a rom-com yeah that's that's perfect for me right <laughs> and I mean he seems to be on board with that as well which is which so then you had those
1: conversation exactly how did that go down did you say look heavy we got to talk about our, our narrative yeah
0: <laughs> I was well I was just kind of curious I was like how do you how like how would you like to live your life like what story like what style of life would you like to live
1: and now at what stage did you feel comfortable to even bring such a topic up I think
0: that's that's a good question I mean we we're best friends for seven years before we got married so like best friends so I mean we've always had so much confidence and like so much co- like comfort to speak to each other openly and I feel like that is absolutely essential and it cannot be repeated more you know that seriously there needs to be that close friendship, you know, for anything else to really flourish. And you need to kind of have that you know, complete ease to speak about anything, to talk about anything, and to laugh through everything, right? Because it's all about your attitude towards it. Of course, that all depends off of, you know, the story you want to live, right? Because if you do want to live a drama, then maybe, you know, be conflictive, you know, be very volatile. Great, right? If that is what you want to live, do that, commit to it, but also have a partner who wants the same. Who's a part of that. Exactly, exactly. If you want, if someone that you're with wants kind of like a spot, film action, then, you know, you need to be up for that as well or want that as well and kind of pair yourselves that way. So, you know, it's very much to do with like with with that element. And then you can kind of at least they say, you know, the future cannot be predicted, but it's possible that you could create it,
1: mm-hmm. right? Well, so, it's almost as if, you know, you're already setting the foundations of what are your values? what is, mm-hmm. What is your purpose? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just as a soul person, as an individual, but you and this together.
0: Exactly. And like the tone of it
1: mm-hmm. as well, right? Ah, you know, cause, So you're not just setting the genre, you're mm-hmm. setting the tone mm-hmm. and characters?
0: Yeah, it? like to an extent because you're you're seeing yourself so you can advise yourself. You're the viewer of this story, but you're also the main character, right? And you're also kind of, you So do know, you
1: sidestep yourself sometimes in a, in a form? Of course. Like, look at yourself course, from a third perspective? You
0: should. You should. Especially, you know, like, as an avid movie watcher, you can definitely like predict where your story is going right mm-hmm. i mean we've all watched so many movies and we know the narratives that life that that characters go through and you can do that with your life and you can choose right so it's kind of like are you going to get super pissed off and you know throw this all to hell and you know find somebody else mm-hmm. or are you going to laugh it off and just kind of poke fun at it and make it a joke and right. fix it right you know so and you can kind m- of yeah
1: yeah it's yeah. a matter of you choosing your own hero's journey Except- Exactly. So then exactly. I guess like that would lead me on to my next question of why do you fall in love with one rather than another?
0: Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a social construct, right? It, it mm-hmm. all comes down to how we've been, you know how culture has influenced us, right? Because, I, I mean, even during, like, the Enlightenment period or during, like, the Royal French period, it was common to, like, for the king to have mistresses and, you know, that families and, like, wives were for kids and reproduction, right? So there were different, and that was totally fine and completely acceptable, right? And you hear of, like, harems and you hear Attila the Hun and you hear mm-hmm. all these stories, right?
1: Cleopatra and, and exactly. Caesar, they built, I mean, they got married based upon creating peace. It was exactly. Business, exactly, so. exactly,
0: exactly. So you see all these things that are very foreign to our reality now. And this is all due to like social constructs. And actually, um, a psychologist and a, a no, sociologist, uh, professor, uh, British professor, Uh, Gibbons Giddens he uh, (laughs) he actually talked about how novels how narrative like romantic narratives have actually shaped how we build our relationships now right so it's Mm. very much that it's a social construct and we can choose how we want to do it and we're seeing so many choices Mm. now
1: more and more right do you think though the direction that the social construct is heading into due to the digital era Mm. because I know we speak spoken at a i moderated a panel where you were on and it was Mm -hmm. about modern love surviving connection in the digital era yes do you think it's heading in a healthy direction well i mean it's kind of what what i was speaking about
0: precisely that you know we want certain things and the form in which they come will constantly change right and that's what we were speaking about initially as well that you know We want that kind of that, that tribal feeling, you know, that connection. We want to have someone we can rely on, confide on, trust our life with, you know, and that's really what love is about is, you know, that extreme, you know, goodness that you wish for them and they wish for you, right? It's that, it's that intensity of that. And we all want that, whether the form is changing, whether it comes in like different partner groups or, collectives or you know like it depends where that's coming from it's about protecting what's underneath it which is that connection you know that goodness that love Mm -hmm. right so the form that it comes in shouldn't be our focus necessarily but we should focus on like what is the value what is you know what is it that we're actually getting out of it exactly
1: um so helen also mentions and she ends on this note love is in all of us Mm -hmm. The challenge is just to understand each other. Yes. Um, And then the question was, having researched all about love like yourself, if that has made you believe in a certain way of love or like deconstructed your mind of love, do you also even see love? Do you pick up on it when two people are together? Like, oh, they're so in love.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it for sure. Like, you can, you can definitely see it. And I think we all have that antenna for feeling it. And we need to turn it inwards as well and as cliche as it is to hear it now more often which I'm super happy that you hear it more often the self love element that you need to also turn it towards yourself right to echo back to the whole self sabotage that we're talking about is to is to love yourself as well you know and to and to really capture that and to do and practice that with yourself and others to be Mm -hmm. able to to then do that so
1: um, we usually do a a Twitter poll Mm -hmm. so we had three questions this week and a little bit based upon what Helen Fisher had brought up in her talk which was about have you ever been rejected by someone you really love and have you ever dumped someone who really loved you and in her findings it was 95% yes to both Okay. Um, so the first question have you ever been rejected by someone you thought loved you 92% said yes 8% said no Um, have you ever dumped someone who loved you 79% sorry Yes, seventy nine percent said yes, and twenty one percent said no. Um, so I was really surprised when I did see that a little bit, just because I, you know, I think I think it's very humbling to see some people who are in it because they won't dump somebody if they love them; they'll still stick with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I think there's like you know there's a major difference within that. Um, so what are you? What are your thoughts about? if somebody is in a relationship that they know they shouldn't be in but because they that person needs them and loves them that they still stick with it
0: yeah i mean the like one of the most wise people in my life, <laughs> my mother, she always says, and I stand by this, absolutely. And I mean, maternal love is everything. Seriously, like if that's anything I can leave with as well, is that maternal love is a model that we need. And what she said always is it's better to be by yourself than in bad company. Yes. <laughs> right. And and honestly, like the light that comes out of you when you are in good company or by yourself, which is also company, right? Be good company for yourself. Right. Right. And so don't be in bad company. So I think that it's better to, you know, like a bandage, just do it. Right, and and kind of be able to build that goodness that you want to do sooner rather than later.
1: Yes. Totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I had to say yes in such a like shy tone because my mom said the same thing. Uh-huh. And then the last question was, Do you believe in love at first sight? Which seventy five percent said yes, whereas twenty five percent no. The there is another um poll but it was the same question and actually forty percent said yes and sixty percent said no. So there's a complete mm-hmm opposite Mm. spectrum um so why is there such polar because there is an element of instinctiveness and essence to when you relate to a person and you feel that love Mm -hmm. but there are some that Disregarded, it seems.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see what demographics were there, like whether they were men or women and at what ages as well, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel that men might have that element of love at first sight more than women because I feel like we are slightly more discerning and, you know, more maybe hesitant less trusting you know through life um so i think that maybe men could believe a little bit more in love at first sight and i mean helen fisher does talk about you know love at first sight possibly happening occurring within animals so biologically it seems that love at first sight is a thing, right? Whereas in in real life practice, uh, it's clearly split, which is very interesting. Yeah.
1: But I also wonder if it's because some might not be opening their eyes to it, or opening up, or being reciprocating of it, or receiving.
0: Mm-hmm. And actually, if we precisely if we talk about love in that greater essence, right, of mm-hmm. goodness, then yeah, there should be so much more love at first sight. It should be love at first sight all the time, where you just want to, you know, love every everyone right Right. in the in a non-like
1: intimate way necessarily
0: right but um (laughs) um, spread the (laughs) exactly (laughs) then the world will be better (laughs) exactly 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 yeah
1: Um, we like to always end with some tangible tools Mm -hmm. as to in this case what are the solutions on how you can apply and receive love or feel love and give Mm -hmm.
0: love yeah so a couple that i touched on um you know yes have your story right tell the story the kind of love story that you want to live and try to find people around you that will be characters in that story with you willing characters that will make it enjoyable right um the second one is definitely to do with you know love is a part of a full life it isn't the entirety of your full life right so you know protect it, nurture it, though also develop other parts of your life as well, especially if it's it's in a little bit of a rough patch, focus on other parts, you know, like delight your senses, right? Take on personal projects as well, right? And And focus on those components. And, you know, Also, that careful of your self-sabotage, right? Be aware of it. Surround yourself. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Surround yourself with people who truly love you, you know, and who will want the best for you, wish good, do good, see good, and feel good towards you constantly and you to them, who can protect you from yourself and uh, keep your sensors up for that. And really a huge tip that I have, like, to really feel self-love is mother yourself. Right? See that ideal mother in your head, right? Whether it's your mother or, you know, this fictional mother and, speak to yourself the way that she would speak to you encourage yourself the way that she would encourage you and you know guide yourself in that way and then model that towards others and yeah. that's pure love I would say
1: I love that no. absolutely <laughs> love that <laughs> well yeah. thank you so much for joining us here today can you share with us any upcoming exciting projects that you're working on currently or in the future
0: yeah definitely we'll be posting things uh, I'll be posting things on LinkedIn on my LinkedIn and also because you're not
1: on social media
0: I'm not yeah
1: you're doing a social Social media class. Yes, it's like trying to find your handle, thing. and then I realized I don't have
0: one. On. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, living in, I'm yes. living in real life. Yes. I'm living in real life. Yes. Enjoying it. Thing.
1: So, exactly. if people want to connect with you, where yeah. can they find you?
0: Uh, LinkedIn and also via our website, our family website, which is www.jadadad.com. And then you can find all of our companies, all our projects going on there. They're across the board from entertainment, healthcare, you know, youth, creation of new careers and you know how we can all live the fullest life possible as a part of a flourishing planet in our own way together amazing so that's the work that we're doing
1: and on your linkedin you're tamen jadad garcia correct amazing well thank you so much for joining us here and spreading the love as Mm -hmm. always thank you for tuning in as well i'm yasmin Tanres. you can find me at yasmin Tanres, and do head over to our at talking ted talks platform on instagram and twitter and we won't be back next week because it's the 4th of july so be sure to celebrate and we'll see you the following week